Well, children, does anyone know what retirement is? No one. Wow, it's because you must be because you're so young. Yes. What do you think retirement is? Yeah, that, that's right. It's it's not that you lost your job, eh? But it's because you're real old, right? You get so old, you can't work anymore. And so they're like, wow, we better put you out to retirement so you can just enjoy the rest of your life. In New Zealand, when you turn 65, you can retire and you, and they just pay you not to work. That's pretty cool, eh? You just get to sit at home and be like, yeah, live up the, live up the dream. And people give you money. It's like the perfect life. You get this magical thing called a gold card. I don't know what that's like, but you can even go on a bus for free. That's pretty cool. Just wave this magical gold card. It's not made of actual gold. Um, but yeah, so retirement sounds pretty good. We used to have a minister here called Mr. Reynolds, and Mr. Reynolds retired. So he was a pastor for a long time, and then he got a bit older, and so he retired. And I said to him as he was leaving, I said to him, do you know, Mr. Reynolds, that when you retire as a minister, you don't really have retirement. You actually just get reassignment because your work doesn't stop. And we had a good chuckle about it. Ha, 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 ha. You know how these things go. We thought it was pretty funny. So we had a good laugh about it. No one else gets it, but that's okay. We thought it was a good laugh. Then I spoke to him about two years later, and he said to me, Logan, I'd forgotten all about this, but he said, Logan, do you remember that you said to me that as a Christian minister, when we retire, we just get reassigned? And I said, yeah, actually, I do remember saying that. And he said to me, you were right. In fact, I think I'm busier now than when I was a minister. I seem to be doing more than I used to, running around doing all sorts of different stuff. And, you know, that's true for every single Christian. We can be tempted to think, Okay, you guys can't because you're young. But when we get older, we might be tempted to think, well, now that I'm quite old, I can just kick back and relax and I don't have to worry about doing stuff as a Christian anymore because I'm so old. Well, that's not the case because we're always Christians, aren't we? And as we grow and mature, we're called to keep on living out the gospel and keep on encouraging other people and keep on loving other people and helping other people. And that's true for all of us in every stage of our life. Whether we're this big or whether we're like that big, we have to keep loving one another. And the reason for that is that Jesus loved us first. And so we show that same love to everyone around us, no matter how old or young we are. And we're going to be looking at the older women today and thinking about how they have to live as godly older women. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Be faithful in every aspect of our life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the love of Christ, which has been poured out upon us. We thank you that Jesus loves us, and so we can love one another. And we pray that, Father, whether we're young, sitting at the front here, or whether we're a little bit older, sitting in the back somewhere, that you would help us to be faithful to you, to walk in godliness and love, and to follow what you tell us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're turning through to the book of Titus this morning. Book of Titus, if you're a visitor, we've been working our way through Titus. Just to help us remember where we've been up to, we've been looking at chapter 2, and 
we have seen so far that in verse 1, Paul wants Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine, which doesn't just mean teaching the sound doctrine, but teaching what sort of flows out of that, so godliness. And so I said last Sunday that we're going to be thinking about what godliness looks like for X group of people. And so as you work your way through this chapter, you see that Paul addresses how Titus should train up the old men and the old women and the young women and the older women and, what did I just say? Young, young men, getting ahead of myself, and Titus as a minister of the gospel and slaves. And so there's this list of instructions. And I have said already, and I'll probably say it many more times, all of this is intricately connected to verse 11, which says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. So all of this teaching flows out of the reality of the fact that God's grace has appeared in Jesus Christ so that you can put godlessness to death and walk in godliness instead. Okay, so let's read this morning. Chapter 2, we'll read the whole thing, it's helpful, and then we're going to be looking at verse, primarily verse 3, with a little bit of a mention in verse 4 and 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled, sorry, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us. And as we come to consider it, 
Let's pause in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, you tell us in your word that your word remains forever. That leaf and flower of the field may curl over, but your word never does. And so we pray that as we draw near to you this morning, that you would speak to us through your beloved son. That, Father, we might hear his voice among us today. And that your spirit might bring the word to life in our hearts. That we might be nourished and fed. That we might be built up for acts of service. And that we might honor you with a whole heart. Father, help us to delight in your word with all joy and to rejoice as one who finds rich spoil. Would you help us in our weakness this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me just read our text again. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, This morning, just so you're aware where we're going, this morning we're primarily thinking about the older women, Um, not so much the content of what they're to train up the young women, and originally I was going to do them both together, but there was just way too much. So in a couple of weeks, we'll come back to the young women. Tonight, we'll look at the younger men. You might be wondering to yourself this morning, uh, is this worth our time? I mean, the older women in our congregation are really godly. They're amazing women, and they're great an encouragement to many of us. So is it worth spending time looking at this? You know, surely we can just lump this whole section together and move on and be done with it. Well, Philip Towner, Philip Towner says the following, this, speaking of the older ladies, this is a resource the church today could draw on much more than it does. We have bought into the notion that older people have had their day of usefulness and ought to make way for the young. But the principle here is quite the opposite. With age and experience come wisdom. And many older women have discovered secrets of godly living in their relations to their husbands, children, and neighbors that could save younger women a lot of unnecessary grief. And when the unavoidable trials come to the young woman, who better to guide her through than an older sister who has been through it before? Somehow, the church must see that younger women have contact with older women. Or, to put it a different way, My dear older sisters, we need you. The church needs you. 
our younger women desperately need you. You are a gift to the church of Jesus Christ. And we cannot be who God has called us to be without you. Now, if you're wondering if you fit in the older women bracket, you can decide for yourself. But I think the, the words that are used in the original language would suggest that the young people are sort of between, you know, 13-ish and early 40s. That would constitute a young person. So if you're above that, you might fall into the older bracket, but I'll let you decide. I will not pick for you. You know, there's, there's two perennial temptations, I think, that can fall upon older people. I'm going to use various words. I'm going to say older people. I'm going to say old people. I'm going to say matriarchs. It just, it all means the same thing, right? And you all know that none of it is meant with any disrespect whatsoever to your age at all. I always feel really weird being a young person addressing older people, but here we go. Um, there's two temptations which constantly befall older people. One is the temptation to think, I've done my part, and so I can put my feet up and rest. And some of you know that really well. The temptation to think to yourself, I've done enough for a mellow puff. I can just let everyone else do it. The other temptation is to think, we've always done it this way, and so this is the correct way, and so the young generation needs to catch up. Now, I want you to consider for a moment one godly biblical woman called Anna. Do you remember Christmas? Coming up to Christmas, remember the Christmas story? There's a lady in the temple called Anna who's either 84 or has been a widow for 84 years, one or the other. She's old, right? Now, if you're 84, you know, back in the days, 84 was a lot older than it is now. So she was extremely old. And do you remember what she was doing? Night and day, worshipping in the temple. Everyone knew. The thing Anna does is goes to the temple, worships with all of her might. And she would have been speaking to others. It says she's speaking to others about the coming Messiah. There's a picture of a godly, useful, amazingly beneficial older woman, right? You are necessary. Or to, to encourage you to think proactively today, I'll use the words of Spurgeon, who said, There is no more charming sight under heaven. You hear that? There is no more, like nothing. There is no more charming sight under heaven, I think. Got to qualify that. I think then that of an elderly Christian lady whose words and whole life are such as becomes the gospel of Christ. And I'm sure we can all give a hearty amen to that, can't we? I can recall being in a church which was almost all elderly ladies, like almost all. And what a blessing it was. So we turned up with our family, the only family, and we turned up and our kids just instantaneously had like 14 grandmothers 
who just cared for them and loved them and showed them Jesus Christ week in and week out. I, I was a student. We didn't have much money. They would turn up with groceries. They'd turn up with gifts. One Christmas, they brought us Christmas presents for our kids because they knew we couldn't afford to buy any. Like Just saints, absolute saints. And it was, as Spurgeon says, the most charming sight. And that's what, my dear older sisters, that is what we long for you as a church. That you would so embrace the words and whole of the gospel of Christ that would emanate out from you as a godly example, especially to the young women, but to all of us, right? Now, we're primarily thinking about older women, but most of the things we're going to see are things we all ought to walk in. And so even though these things are primarily, I guess, applied by Paul to the older women, don't think to yourself, well, in that case, yeah, I can just check out of this one. I grab out my phone and start playing a game and just relax because I'm not an older woman. Safe. Uh, well, no, because A, you need to encourage the older women. B, you need to pray for them. C, you might be one of them one day. Uh, D, you probably have to do most of the same things anyway. You're just not going to get the same emphasis put upon them by Paul. You see, Paul, Paul targets certain things that are really important for certain categories of people. And we saw that last week in the evening. Older men were to do this and do that and do this because that was the really important example that they needed to focus upon. And tonight, we're going to be thinking about self-control and how important it is for young men, especially more than anyone else, to put on self-control. But this morning, we're thinking about godly matriarchs. And I intentionally used the word matriarch because I wanted to say godly mother, but then I thought people might turn up thinking, oh, we're thinking about being a mum. But really, it's about being a godly matriarch among the family of God. You know, a highly esteemed matriarch that everyone looks up to. Not a ruler matriarch, but someone highly esteemed and beloved by all. It's a little bit like my mum. Now, my mum often complains that I always tell the bad stories about our family. So I'll tell a good one. My, my mum, I would put in this category. I respect her immensely. And whatever happened at any time, we always knew we could go to our mum. When we were little, when we were big, and still today, I can still pick up the phone, ring up my mum, and ask her for help, ask her for advice, receive her loving care. She is a matriarch in our family. Just like my grandmother, who is still alive at 94, when we have a family celebration, everyone knows that she is the lady in charge. You know what I mean? The lady in charge, the one that gets everything organized, the one that everyone looks to, the one that comforts everybody, even the little grandchildren go to her. And that's what we would love for you to be. So what does a godly matriarch look like? Well, godly matriarchs will be, first point, godly examples. Paul begins by addressing the way that the life of a godly matriarch ought to look for a very obvious reason. If you're not a godly example, you undermine everything else you do, right? 
I mean, it means nothing if I stand up here and tell you that you really need to make sure that you're not a drunk and then you discover I'm a mess, I'm addicted to alcohol, right? That would undermine everything I've said. And so we set an example and then we teach and we're able to teach in accordance with that example. And so Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, older women likewise in the same way as older men, which might mean they have to do all the other things too, but I don't think. But older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. So their behavior is to be reverent. What does he mean by this word reverence? It's actually a, a very, very fascinating word. It's not the regular word for reverent. You could translate it holy, but it's actually a, a cultic word. It's like a temple type word. You could translate it like a priestess. It's not the word for priestess, but that's the type of word we're trying to find an English equivalent for. Someone who acts a bit like a priestess. Now, for us, that doesn't mean a whole lot, does it? Because we don't really have any priestesses running around the place. We, we have imagery for what a priest is. But at the time of Paul, that word was filled with meaning. An example of that is one of the main uh, gods in Rome had a priestess who had an had extremely significant play, role to play. This priestess every year would take, they wouldn't say it like this, but would take the sins of the people upon herself. And there would be this massive sacrifice that would be made and the blood would be poured out upon her. It was really gross. But... She had a very specific like code of law that she had to live by. She, she could not have known any man. She had to dress in a certain way. She always had to have a certain type of outfit on. She had to be very careful where she went because if she was walking down the road and her shadow fell upon a criminal, he would instantly be set free of all of his charges. So you can imagine the type of life this woman would have to live, right? She would be very careful where she went. She would have limited access to other people. She would have to guard herself all the time. And so you can imagine as a person in Crete reading this word, they'd have all this type of imagery in their head when Paul says they are to be reverent. They are to be holy in the way that a servant of God would be holy. Pure. Honorable. And not just in a little bit of their life, right? He doesn't say they are to be holy when they go to church on Sundays. Or they are to be reverent when they're around other Christians. But he says they're to be reverent in their behavior. Now, the word for behavior means effectively everywhere. They are to be reverent in their attire, in their attitude, in their speech, in their thinking, in every aspect of their life, both inner and outer, they are to be reverent. The word sort of has the idea of something that is on the outside that comes from within. You see, what Paul's talking about here is not so much a, a whitewashing of holiness, like, oh, I need to make sure I put my makeup on in the morning, so I'll put some holiness on in the morning before I go to church. But it's the overflow of a heart that has been sanctified and purified by God himself. 
Because we remember this is flowing out of the grace of God that has appeared, right? So Jesus says, if your heart is clean, then the overflow of your heart will be what? Clean. And so older women must have a clean heart that gives forth purity, cleanliness, and holiness. And there's, there's plenty of amazing and wonderful examples of this in the Bible, right? I mean, the Bible is just jam-packed with godly women. Anyone who says that the Bible is misogynistic is clueless and needs to go back and read the Bible. If anyone ever says that to you, just say to them, go and read the Bible. You've got no idea what you're talking about. Because the Bible loves to honor women. For example, think about elderly Elizabeth. Elderly Elizabeth, we're told, Elizabeth, you remember who that is? Mum of John the Baptist, right? Elizabeth was righteous before God and walking blamelessly. That was the description of her life. That was God honoring her. And she was an old, old lady, right? Uh, We can think of Phoebe. She was a servant of the church and a patron. A patron means that many people would come under her care and she would provide for them. And, and Paul honors her to the Romans. Or we can think of uh, that, that lovely lady with the kind of comical name, Dorcas. Remember Dorcas? It's always a classic name, but Dorcas, she was a seamstress. And when she got really, really sick, do you remember what happens when Peter comes? Peter comes and all of the people gather together all of the things that she's made. And they're saying, look, look at all these incredible works that Dorcas has done. Please, please make her well. She's such a blessing to us. She's such a godsend. They could look up to this woman and be like, we we so need this woman in our life. That's what it looks like to be marked by reverence. But the, the older woman is not just marked by something positive. Paul says there's two things negatively that shouldn't be true about them, doesn't he? And so he says in verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, nor slaves to much wine. Not slanderers. The word for slanderers is basically the same word as the devil. The devil is the slanderer and accuser of the brethren, right? They are not to be diabolous. They are not to be devilish. Why does Paul pick on slandering? Well, the vast majority of the commentators would suggest that the reason that Paul focuses upon the tongue when he gets to older women is because they are particularly tempted in this area to use their tongue either for good or evil in a way that most men are not. Because men just, it's just facts, men just say way less stuff. And if you've had boys or girls as children, you know this. How was school today? Or good. How was school today? Oh, school was amazing. We had such a wonderful time. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. It's how God's made us, right? And so women are more tempted. It's not that men aren't tempted, but women are more tempted to use their tongues either for good or evil. And Paul says you must not use your tongue for evil. 
You must not use your tongue in a way that's going to tear people down. You're not going to say one thing about one group of people and say something about someone else. You're not going to gossip. You're not going to use your tongue so that people lay false accusations against other people. You're not going to do the work of the devil with your mouth. It's essential. Your mouth should be the sort of mouth that whoever comes and sits in your presence hears truth and love, right? Here's people built up. Here's people honored and adored. And especially here's the praises of God flowing out of your mouth. And look, we all know how easy it is to use our tongue wrongly, right? Everyone knows that. How easy it is for us to complain and murmur against people, against churches, against governments, against all sorts of different things, right? There's a reason, James says, the tongue is just impossible to bridle. Now, you can train your whole body and your tongue just carries on doing whatever it wants every day of the week. And you're like, ah, if I could just stop talking for the rest of my life, that would be fantastic. But we don't have a choice. We have to use our tongue. Now, the second thing also includes the mouth. Paul says your mouth must come out with good stuff and you must not use your mouth to bring stuff in too often, right? He says, don't be enslaved. Don't be a slave of wine. You know, when you've got a lot of spare time, it can be really easy to drink too much alcohol. But it's not just alcohol. He speaks about wine. But you could apply this to anything, right? And too much food. It could be wasteful. It can be gluttonous. It could be TV. It can be just binge-watching Netflix for eight hours. You could just insert anything. It's really easy for us to very quickly fall into abusing and overusing good gifts from God because wine is a good gift. So Paul say to Timothy, take some wine for your stomach. We mustn't take God's good gifts and be controlled by them. That's the issue, isn't it? Here is Paul's describing the picture of a someone who, who, though enslaved to Christ, willingly takes themselves and puts themselves under the yoke of a creation, right? So our creator is our master, and yet we say, I want to be mastered by something in creation. And we must not allow ourselves to do that. We must guard against being devilish in the output of our mouth and also in the input. And, and when you put those two pictures together, you see an example of someone who acts like what? A priestess and not like a devilish, right? So we're, we're seeking to honor God with every aspect of our hearts and minds and souls and strength and not giving ourselves over to the things of this world that would control us because we're seeking to be examples, especially to the younger women in our life. If you think back to that quote we started with, somehow the church must see that younger women have contact with older women so that they can learn from them. Because as we're going to see in a second, older women are to teach stuff. And that begins with the way we live out our lives. But how can we do this? What are some things that we can do to seek to put this type of a life on? 
Well, one of the things is we must be renewed by our mind, right? We're told that we are being conformed to the image of Christ by the renewal of our mind, which means being in the word. One of the blessings of being older is often you have more time to be in the word, depending upon your age. But whether you have lots of time or not, the more time you spend in the word, the more likely you are to keep in step with it, right? So get your mind in the word. Secondly, imitate Christ and imitate those who imitate Christ. Look for godly examples. Whether it's the dead in biography, there's some great biography that gives you pictures of godly women, or whether it's people in this room, and there's plenty of them you could find. Find someone a bit older than you and pattern your life after them as they pattern their life after Christ. Lastly, devote yourself to godliness, which is great gain. So Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, uh, physical training, like working out, is of some gain. It's helpful. It's useful. It's good to keep your body in check. But godliness is great gain. For all of life, right? And so we strive to put on godliness by following the examples around us. But of course, that raises an important point for us. We can't follow the examples of God's people around us if we're not spending time with them, right? And so if we isolate ourselves away, we can't look up to those that are older. We saw that last Sunday night for the men. And so for all of us, whether, whether we're youngest or a bit younger, we all have, almost all of us, have someone older than us, right, that we can look up to. And so we need to find them. We need to spend time with them. And so let me encourage all of you this morning to do something really, really practical straight after this service. Go and find someone older or younger and do this. I know it's scary. And you're probably thinking, I don't know their name. And so one thing you can do is say, hi, I don't know your name. What's your name? Very novel, I know. But get a cup of coffee, find an older person, and just talk to them. And if you're an older person, find a cup of coffee and find someone younger. And just go up to them and say, hi, my name's Mary or Steve or whatever. And talk with them. But what are the old, older women to do? We're told that the older women, the godly matriarchs, are to be godly teachers, right? Not just with their example, but by teaching. So the Apostle Paul says in verse 3, they are to teach what is good. They are to be teaching good, he says. Now, we're going to deal with the content of that, the younger women, in a couple of weeks, as I said. What I want us to focus on very briefly here and in the next point, these next two points are very, very much briefer than the last one, is just on the nature of teaching, because I'm sure there's some of you in this room who, as soon as I say they are to teach, instantly think of two objections, right? And they come from 1 Corinthians and from 1 Timothy. And that is that Paul says that women aren't to teach. And now he says women are to teach. And so is this a contradiction? Is Paul contradicting himself? Is Paul saying on one hand they're to teach and other hands they're not and it depends on the situation? How do we understand this? Well, you are to teach. You are to teach 
Uh, one commentator, Taylor, puts it like this. The scripture written by the same pen does not contradict the other, being women are to be silent and women are not to teach, for it speaks of private teaching and instructing the family at home, especially the children and young maidens. And the lessons which they are to teach them concern mostly private duties, and their end is to make the younger women wise unto all godly conversation. And by conversation, he means patterns of life. So if you look through just very briefly the sorts of things that they are to teach the younger women, what sort of things are they? They're, they're things that are more home-based, right? They're the standard things of a mum and a family lady, and the older women are to teach these things. He's, he's not talking about uh, can a woman teach in a lecture hall with 300 other women. That's not part of the discussion here. This is not a text that you can use to justify that because he's not talking about public teaching. He's speaking about private training and teaching and exhortation and encouragement in the Lord. That as examples and as godly matriarchs, you would come alongside the younger ones and say, let me show you the way of godliness. And oh, how we don't need that. I mean, if I was just to ask all of our young women to come up the front and tell us if they find being a young woman easy or hard, what would they say? It's hard, right? And it doesn't matter what stage you're in, whether you're a mum or whether you're single or whether you're in school, life's hard. How do I be a faithful woman? How do I honor God in my body and in my mind as a female image bearer? Well, one of the answers to that is by looking to those that have gone before you and seeking their wisdom and seeking their training. Ladies, you must be like Hulda. Who remembers Hulda from the Bible? Hulda, the prophetess. Great name. Another great name. Hulda. When Josiah wanted to know what the law meant and he needed wisdom as a young man, he sent to ask her. And she instructed from her home in private and told him what he ought to do and told him what the law meant. Or you can think of Priscilla and Aquila, right? Taking Apollos to the side and teaching him in the way, helping him be faithful to the Lord as a young minister. Or you can think of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 that we love to read so much. For the woman speaks wisdom in her home. We desperately need you because in this world there are far too many Herodiases. Remember Herodias? Who counsels her daughter to do what? Ask for the head of John the Baptist. Or we have too many Jezebels who would destroy about four generations of kings in Israel through her wickedness. Or we have, and I'm not saying this in relation to our church, by the way, we have far too many of Haman's wives, Zeresh, who it says encouraged him to build some gallows for Mordecai. We have far too many, Revelation 2 verse 20, Jezebels who claim to be prophetesses and are, are adulterers and teach destruction. We 
have far too many of those in the world, don't we? I mean, how far? Let's be super practical about this. Taylor Swift is a godless example for your children. Now, you can, it's up to you if your children listen to it. That's not what I'm saying. But she is not a virtuous woman who is going to train up your daughters to walk in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? And yet all of the young women attempted to idolize her and follow her. They're called Swifties, by the way. And what they desperately need is godly older women to look up to instead. And you can be that older woman. You can be that one who pulls someone aside and leads them in godliness. But there's one more thing that godly matriarchs will be doing. And that is they will be causing godly witness to take place. Godly matriarchs will be godly witnesses. Have a look at chapter 2 verse 6. Sorry, chapter 5. Oh, chapter 2, verse 5. To be self-controlled. So this is what they're training up the young women to do. To be self-controlled, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, and see the why, that the word of God may not be reviled. This is what it's all about. You, in your life as an older woman, Working in the church, among the younger women, among everyone, have the opportunity to labor in such a way that God's word would either be honored, adored, and glorified, or reviled. Blasphemed is the word quite literally. That's a powerful position, isn't it? That's an honoring position, right? That's something worth giving your life to. To see God's word honored among God's people and adored among God's people and lifted up high so that people would look at you and those who you disciple and mentor and teach and train and they would say, isn't God's word amazing? Now, I know, I know that when we speak about wives submitting to their husbands, working at home, etc., that the world scoffs calls us misogynistic and thinks we're a bunch of nut jobs. I know, but their opinion doesn't matter. Because most of us have seen the beauty of a godly marriage, haven't we? Where you see a husband and wife ordering their home the way God intends, and it gives all praise and glory to God. And some of you, have seen that and God, I want that. Some of you want that one day. And most of you are gladly embracing it. And I'm not, that's not a dig at those of you that aren't, but you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things that we just pack up and love because we see it and see it treasured. Sisters, labor to see that. Labor to see God glorified in our community by the way you live your life and teach your life. And so that the young ones would look up to you and, and follow you and God's word might be honored and adored rather than reviled among the nations like it so often was when the Israelites sacrificed their children to Molech and bowed down to the idols of the nations. You know, this is the highest calling, isn't it? 
to promote the glory of God in all of the women of our church? That every single one of them would be would be walking as they were originally created, to be image bearers of God in its fullest sense, so that they would reflect the triune majesty of our great God and King. My dear sisters, young or old, is there any greater calling that you could lay before? Really? Is there? Is not, is there? I mean, what a privilege to one day stand before the King of glory and to hear testimony of, of, of the difference that your life has made in those around you. It's a little bit like in this one book of C.S. Lewis's, my favorite part in the whole book. There's, so he basically goes, and I think I've told you about this before, he goes on a tour bus ride to heaven and, and he goes into, it's, it's weird theology, but just set that aside for a second. He go, C.S. Lewis has got some weird theology, but he, he ends up in this place, which is like an in-between place where people decide if they're going to travel towards heaven or they're not. Okay, so just set that aside. But there's this great moment where all of a sudden this glorious like train comes. Train, like think wedding train. Okay, so there's this woman at the front, and she's and she's got young maids and young men following in her train and and singing praises with her, and there's animals skipping around her feet, and she just is this picture of glory and beauty and wonder, and and C.S. Lewis says something like, "I could just couldn't help but just wanting to embrace this woman." This is the picture of just this most amazing woman. And then the, the tour guide explains who this woman is. And he says, in her life, any child that came in her door found a mother. And any older woman found a daughter. Every man that came to her found a loving wife that would send her back, send him back to love his wife better. By that he means she would train the man that came to go back and love his wife better. She would care for animals, every animal, be it squirrel or bunny rabbit, like it was a precious creation of God. Don't you want to look like that one day? You have the opportunity to give your life for something that's worth doing, to, as Peter would say, adorn yourself not with externals, but with the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Or as Paul would say, to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And so, my dear sisters, be a daughter of God to your sisters. So that what Spurgeon said might be true of all of you, that there is no more charming sight under heaven than to come to covenant and to see their elderly women whose words and whole life 
are such as becomes the gospel of Christ. And may God, by his spirit, grant you to do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you provide us with such godly and amazing ways and patterns of life. And we just ask that you would help us to faithfully do them. Whether we are young or old, whether we are men or women, help us to walk in the way of the Lord. Help us to walk with fear and trembling before a thrice holy God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.